we really have to invest in our businesses to scale our businesses, just like you and I invest in our businesses. Every time I spend money on my business, every time I spend money on a coach, infrastructure, my business scales. Hey friends, welcome back. Today, I am talking with another nonprofit expert who is fantastic at what she does, and I highly recommend you follow her on LinkedIn because she really tries to shake up the status quo a bit and really challenges people to think bigger, think better, think with excellence in raising funds and raising what you need to truly serve in your nonprofit and to fulfill the mission. And that's what resonated with me is we do need to think bigger. We need to challenge ourselves. Today's guest is Sherry Kwam Taylor. She works with business-minded nonprofit CEOs who want to scale their organization's budgets significantly by two to five times, but they need larger amounts of general operating money to do so. And, you know, who doesn't? So Sherry has taken that on as her specialty, and she is an expert in this area. The organizations Sherry works with want to reduce dependence on government or earned money or contracted revenue and increase their unrestricted revenue from investment level donors. And she walks them step by step through how to do that. Sherry helps leaders align their organization's charitable revenue initiatives with their business, their programs, and their strategic growth opportunities. And this is the step that she says most people skip. This ensures that challenges are solved at the root of the issue and attracts those investment level donors that get it. And that's a lot of what I do with grant writing is that we've got to take a couple steps back to get to the root of your grant readiness, your preparation, some of those other key pieces to have a good foundation in place before we start grant writing. And so Sherry does the same way, but helping organizations think much bigger to fund their strategic plans and to really increase their bottom line. So she shares a lot of wisdom today. We talk through some myths and some challenges around fundraising. She gives some great advice and verbiage to use to shift the conversations in a positive direction and not be scared of asking for more money or approaching funders, but to really do it with confidence and with good information in hand. So I hope you enjoy today's conversation with Sherry Quam taylor Sherry, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you and to sit down one-on-one again. Tell us a random fact about yourself. Hey, Teresa. Thanks for having me. Uh, A random fact about myself. um, Nobody knows my previous life. Uh, I actually, you know, I was in corporate before I hopped over to nonprofit, I think 13 or 14 years ago now, actually 13, if, if I do the math. And um, I was actually in corporate, but I was doing um, corporate uh, design. So I was doing big headquarter relocations uh, globally, actually. It was super fun uh, working with big companies. And part of my work was actually um, specifying these like multi-million dollar furniture packages. And um, I actually designed a chair that somebody like bought the design of and like they built it and like people sat in my chair and I got royalties for a few years. And so um, it was like a super fun, creative, rewarding um, thing. 
How cool. I didn't know that. I knew you were from corporate originally. And so I didn't know what corporate that was. So that's interesting. Yeah, it, it was it was a fun time. I, I really, um, you know, I, I spend my time in spreadsheets now and uh, I would say more uh, technical, you know, money in fundraising now, but I definitely have that creative bent, um, you know, in, in so many ways. And I, I missed it a little bit, honestly. I'm glad you mentioned that because I think it is important to bring creativity to our work. And that's why I talk mm-hmm. about some of the things I do in grant writing, because I feel like if we make it dry and boring, it's going to yeah. be dry and boring. But if we yes. make it creative and fun, it can be a creative outlet. And sometimes we need to find completely different creative outlets. Yes. So yeah, that's a really good way to take care of ourselves and protect our brains and our creativity too. Yeah, totally agree. It, it's It's been a big part of my work, even just, um, you know, I, I, did, I do a lot of, you know, just cultivation and solicitation coaching and just to kind of ideate, like, how are we going to thank them? How are we going to be creative? Um, you know, how how can we just to, just to almost brainstorm? Sometimes I, people say, oh my gosh, you're creative. I'm like, oh, yes, I am. Yes, I forgot. I, I forgot <laughs> that I am. So um, I do, I do still use it, I guess. Right. And I heard one time that it really hit me that if you ask a kid, are you, I can't remember if it's artistic or creative, but are you creative? A kid every time is going to say, yes, I am. If you ask an adult, almost every time they'll say no, Mm -hmm. even though they're the same person, but maybe they define it differently. Like, I don't think of myself as artistic because I think I'm not good at drawing things, but I am pretty good at baking a good meal or making the plate look pretty before it's served, things like that. So I'm artistic in different ways from what I used to think of as artistic. I love that. And so even just making a spreadsheet look much prettier, so it's more (laughs) easy to find things and fun to look at. (laughs) I have to do that. Not just speaking my love language. I I always say my love language is Excel uh, spreadsheets. So uh, I'm right there with you. (laughs) And making them pretty. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah, definitely. So I think that's good too in our work sometimes in nonprofits because it can get so busy and overwhelming that sometimes we have to look for creative ways to be creative yeah. in a sense. Yeah, and, and really, um, I would say schedule the time. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a person who, who myself, I, I always am working with a coach to grow my business. And um, a lot of those things I learned from my coaches, like my clients don't really know it, but it really translates and uh, filters down to the work I'm doing with them. But um, one of my coaches this last year was really instrumental in, in helping me say and carve out like time for thinking or time for creativity mm-hmm. um, and to not give every hour of my day away um, to everyone else. And so it seems so simple even saying it to you. I'm like, oh, it seems like I should have been doing that all along. But um, just to say, hey, you know what, on whatever, whatever day, Tuesday afternoons, I'm actually going to block out my calendar and try to do something creative or read something creative or or just time for thinking. And I think that's critical also with so many of the leaders we're working with who are wearing 912 hats yeah. Um, and they can't, you know, they're kind of in, in the weeds and you've got to have time to sit and reflect or be creative to really get that objectivity and see what that next strategic move is. So uh, it's good for all of us 
Yeah, it is. And it's funny you say that because in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be leading a grant writing workshop and I'm working with the coordinator that had invited me. And I said, okay, so for supplies, we're going to need Play-Doh, markers, poster board. And like the things I listed off his eyes just got bigger and bigger. And he was like, (laughs) Play-Doh? And I was like, yeah, Yeah. trust me, just go with it. That's awesome. I I want to come to that. I know you should. For an all-day workshop, who wants to sit there and listen to me lecture all day long? I sure don't. Yeah, (laughs) you you need the creativity. Yeah, if we can break it up and they're going to remember it better because they associate it with that thing. So the more we can pull in those senses, the more we can tap into some of those creative sides. And I did not expect the conversation to go here, but I love it. (laughs) (laughs) So good. So good. Yeah. And just having that margin. One of my favorite podcasts is The Daily Creative and also The Accidental Creative by Todd Henry. And it does talk about that, like whatever kind of work we're in, whether it's, you know, something accounting and very structured and linear or something Mm -hmm. more creative, we still have to bring creativity to our work of problem solving and new solutions and designing things. So it's important to keep ourselves healthy and ready for those opportunities. Yeah. I'll check out that podcast. Thank you. Yeah. It's a good one. So yeah. And any resources we mentioned here, I always link to those in the show notes so people can find them easily. Good. So with that, you already kind of shared a little bit about your journey of how you got here to nonprofit work. So what was that changing point, that turning point that made you decide, okay, I am ready to shift into nonprofit instead mm. of the corporate world? Yeah. So I was, um, I was one of those Uber volunteers, Teresa, working a full-time job for a nonprofit and my, and my regular full-time job when I was single Bless you. <laughs> uh, and had all the hours in the world it felt like, but I know that's not the truth. Um, and so I was just really passionate about this organization, was traveling internationally with them. And, um, you know, if I, I joined them in, in 2010. And so if you recall 2008, 2009, 2010, we're not, <laughs> We're not the best years um, right. for many businesses, and yeah. um, and so the 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 door or offer I should say was always open to join um, the the organization uh, as a staff member, and I was like, no, I don't I don't need to do that. I'm I'm over here climbing this ladder, and and, and loved it honestly. Um, but I got married in in 2010, and you know my husband and I were both in the same industry. He's an architect. And, uh, you know, every Friday there were layoffs, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and neither one of us had been laid off, but our, our firms both had, had drastically reduced. And if I'm honest, I said, you know what, um, let me hop over and work for this nonprofit for a year uh, just to get us through this in case something happens. And then I'll hop back over and corporate and like, we'll just, we'll just keep on this train that we're, that we're on. And that did not happen. Um, I joined the nonprofit and um, just had so, I loved it, I guess is what I'll say. And we had great success um, and I'd worked for great mentors and great entrepreneurs and great business people. And I really was like, oh my gosh, I'm using all of that to really help scale and grow and uh, solidify this organization. And long story short, we tripled the revenue in 18 months mm-hmm. and we Yes, we're working with great consultants. Yes, we're changing our fundraising approach. But I realized that a lot of it was that 
um, infrastructure and those systems and those processes and apps and my spreadsheets that really helped, uh, I guess, strengthen the organization. And that is what attracted investment level donors. That is what attracted donors who got it, who were not buying into scarcity mindset and knew that we had to invest money to really change lives. And so um, we scaled that organization when everybody said individuals aren't giving right now, uh, you know, housing market is sideways and everyone's lost their jobs. Mm-hmm. And so nobody's going to donate. Know, is no one's going to donate. Well, yeah, absolutely untrue. And so even, you know, in 2020 or like right now, when it's like, like not true, not true. You, you, they're not true. I guess I, I can elaborate and can have a whole nother episode on that. But I say that because I didn't know it at the time, but I was actually kind of crafting the methodology I teach today. And so a lot of EDs were coming to us and saying like, how are you guys, what's going on over there? Like, how are you scaling? How are you doing this? And I just realized um, I really had a, a very objective and maybe different approach. Um, and so I started my consultancy over 10 years ago, and I have never looked back. I I love growing my business. It's it's grown every year. It's grown even more these last three years. Um, and today I work with leaders who are, who are killing it, who are growing, who want to 2x, 5x budgets, who want to, who have new strategic plans that are really ambitious but they don't know how to um, obtain enough charitable revenue or enough general operating revenue to actually invest in those organizations. And so um, luckily I had a Zoom business before 2020 because um, I work with leaders all over the all over the country um, to scale their general operating revenue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it just fit right in. I know for me, I already worked at home. So when everything shut down, I was like, well, my work doesn't really change much other than I have people at home with me, but everything else was pretty much the same. So yeah, Yeah. that's amazing. And you know, that reminds me of a few months ago, Mike Beckham was a guest on the podcast from Simple Modern. He's been in both the business and nonprofit world. And we talked about the same thing where businesses and nonprofits really have a lot to learn from each other. And can yes. pick up a lot of strategies. The nonprofits can be more structured and business minded of showing investors why this is a good investment for them. And then the businesses could become more mission minded sometimes and a little yeah. more focused on serving as opposed to just the bottom line. Yeah. So I really yeah. think there is a lot of good lessons to learn from each other. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, and I love, I, I hate the us and them, you know, kind of right. analogy. So I do agree. Like, yeah. we can learn from each other. Um, you know, there are amazing people running nonprofits who are amazing business people. Like, I love working with them. Um, and so I, I totally agree with you. And and it really did surprise me how natural it felt um, and how successful I was at it because I just thought this is going to be completely foreign. But it wasn't. We were we were scaling and growing a business, and um, and I think we're there's a lot of misconceptions. You know, we've talked a lot about this that we're always trying to to bust those myths. But I think this this um, you know like th- there were all these rules. You know, we can't do that. We can't say that. We can't spend that. And um, I think because I didn't have a background in nonprofit, we were, I was like, why 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 can't we? spend money on that why can't it look 
top notch? Why, um, why do we have to have a volunteer do that? When like I want to pay this amazing designer to do this because I know it will actually get us to our result quicker. And so um, I, I really, I, I still carry that those thoughts today um, of we really have to invest in our businesses to scale our businesses, just like you and I invest in our businesses. Every time I spend money on my business, every time I spend money on a coach, infrastructure, my business scales flat out. Yes. Um, it's the same same with the nonprofits I'm coaching. Right. It's worth that investment in understanding that everything we do, every decision we make conveys something about our business or about mm-hmm. our nonprofit. And so whether it's a free volunteer that really doesn't know social media or graphic design yeah. or a professional that knows how to set up good templates and good looks for conveying our brand and our mission. Yeah, Those differences say a lot about our organization. It's unspoken, it's nuanced, and people may not obviously step up and point them out, but they know. And sometimes yes. without even knowing, they recognize it even if it's subconsciously. Yes, totally agree. I mean, part of us tripling that revenue, I mean, nothing changed on the ground. Programs didn't change. Um, The business changed. You know, we looked better. We acted better. We responded quicker. We we were given great donor experiences. We put our systems in place. Um, You know, that's really that, why I focus on the business behind fundraising first. Like we can't just jump in and grind harder and do more, more grant applications, more events, more all the things. We really have to fix that infrastructure first so that we are attracting those types of donors. Um, I'm getting a, or I'm doing a, a, a webinar coming up and have some new content coming out, out around um, give gets, like board give gets. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm bringing that up because I actually don't love give gets. And, and I, I have a thing coming up that says like five reasons your give get is leaving thousands, sometimes millions on the table. And one of those that you've alluded to is I think that give get uh, sends that message, like just get everything for free. Um, go get that accounting, go get that bookkeeper, go get that graphics, go get that printing, go get it for free. And don't hear me say there's not a time and place for that as we're growing and as we're scaling. And yeah, of course. Sure. But when you're a $3 million, $5 million, $20 million organization, you need to be paying for, for, for professionals who do not put you to the bottom of the list because you're the charity case. And so I really like I, this is my, now that I'm on a soapbox already, Teresa, but the, the get part, Go I think, it. sets that tone of like, we should get things for free. Mm-hmm. And that is no way to scale a business, especially a business that's changing lives and impacting lives. Um, when, oh, my gosh, we as a nation, country, state, whatever, um, have never depended on nonprofits more to really show up as these last few years. Yeah. So um, I just, I just yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to be hopping up on that soapbox right with you. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) I'm so glad you brought this up because the give get thing is something I hear pretty solidly one side or the other uh, on opinions and from Mm. different people in the space. So I'm, do you also hear something like on a give get, maybe a board member has this certain amount that they are supposed to achieve and then they get it. So they're done. Like, okay, yeah. I've reached my quota. I'm good. And then they just kind of stop. 
they don't yes. keep going when they might have. I mean, do you ever see that? Absolutely. Yeah, I've got five tips. That's that's one other one. You've nailed ah, it. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I what I find is um, like I always ask people. Okay, fine. You have ten board members. I'll use round numbers. Uh, the gift gets five thousand. So, do we want our board focused on then fifty thousand, or do we want our board focused on your two point six million dollar need this year? Mm-hmm. Which one do we want them focused on? Um, which one do we want them helping you co-pilot? Like, I'm going to pick this one over here. And so I really do feel like it, it sets the bar low. It, um, it really, it really blocks organizations from, from fully, fully funding their, their missions every year. And, you know, as I'm thinking about this, just in case our listeners have never heard of this concept of a give get, would yeah. you give us just a quick definition sure. of what we're talking about? Yeah, I mean, at the at the the most basic level, it's like, okay, so you're going to be uh, on my board, Teresa, and um, the agreement on our board is that you will either give, I'll just use five thousand again, give five thousand dollars, or get five thousand, which might be p- other people giving. You might find five friends to give a thousand dollars, or you might say, oh my gosh, my husband has a printing business, and I'm going to get five thousand dollars worth of free printing. And so you're bringing that value to the table. Um, And all those things are wonderful things, but it's really limiting the role of the board member. And it's really limiting. um, I think it's also like preventing or blocking the staff from from really using the board in, in the most effective way. And so I always say, you know, there's three parts of the fundraising team, the executive director, the development team, and the board. And if one of the three of those are not fully marching to that that organization's total need, it's really going to feel like we're climbing up a hill with a cannibal, you know, tied tied around our leg. And so um, I think I really am uh, kind of excited to roll out this content because I've, I just see it so often um, just blocking healthy revenue generation. And so, so watch for that. It's coming. It's coming. Yeah. I'd love to sit in on it myself just to hear your points. And, you know, along those lines, you mentioned the three, that have to work towards it, the director, the development director, and the board. Also, I know in my work, when I'm working with a team on their grant strategy, we have to back up a couple steps and make sure they're clear first on their core vision, their core messaging, Mm -hmm. and some of those internal pieces before they can start moving ahead. Because I see all the time just jumping ahead. And if they're not clear, they wonder why they can't get grants. They wonder yeah. why funders aren't donating. It's because they haven't backed up and done that internal mm-hmm. work first that you were talking about earlier. Yeah, I I, I always say like, you know, my work is is really with investment level donors, mid major level gifts, you know, individuals, family foundations, some businesses. Um, and my work is always helping teams make sure they are securing those donors' best gifts. And and securing those best gifts every year. And oftentimes a donor is not giving their best gift because of exactly what you've just said. They don't really understand the organization's plans. Do you need you need me to give more money? Why? What are you doing? I just I'm hearing you know random things, right? They don't understand their programs. They don't totally get what they do. Um, they see things happening, they see activities, they know about the one, but they don't know what the other advocacy thing is you're doing. Um, or the financial need. They really don't know. Um, do you need more money? 
Are you a small or large organization? Why do you need more money? Because it looks like you're killing it. And so we have to, we have to back up the train, like you're saying, and say, do they understand our plans? Do they understand our programs? Do they understand our financial need? And all three of those have to be very clear for, for you to lead a donor to their best gift. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially, and I'll just say it, like, and a best gift for a mid and major level donor is not an event. It's not through an appeal. It's not through a Giving Tuesday. It's not through any of these transactional activities. It's by relationship building and sitting down, equipping your team to know how to have these types of conversations and solicit that donor. Um, mm-hmm. That is what I'm super passionate about. And frankly, where I see so much money left on the table, um, a lot of leaders haven't invested in their team learning how to do that, or frankly, haven't invested in themselves learning how to do that. And um, man, it's critical. Yeah. And a lot of it, I think some of the block comes down to fear. And part of that stems from not knowing, like they just don't yeah. know. No one's taught them. They don't understand how to read it. So they get worked up and then it doesn't go well yeah. instead of, okay, here's how you can understand the donor better. Here's how you can get to know them, understand how we can serve them too, mm-hmm. by helping them support organizations that they love. And so yeah. it's, it's not It doesn't have to be a scary fear-based thing. It can be a mutual beneficial relationship. Yeah, Yeah, it really is. I mean, I gotta say, like, do you believe your organization's worthy of people giving money to? Like, do you believe it's amazing? Do you because you're not asking them to give to you? You're asking them to invest in this amazing work. Um, And so, if you need tools, if you need something in hand, if you you know, we have to invest in ourselves. Um, learning to do the things we're fearful or, or or just don't know. We haven't ever needed to know how to do that to this point. Um, my coach said to me, um, she she said, uh, uh, people say they hate sales, but she said, I think they hate what they think sales is. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's fundraising. I hate fundraising. I'll do anything but fundraising. It's like, well, if you think fundraising is begging, being a used car salesman, being pushy, you know, all of the things, well, chasing who people down. That? Yeah, chasing people down. Um, that's not what fundraising is. Like if mm-hmm. if it, if it kind of reeks like that in any way, shape, or form, we're doing it wrong. Um, it actually is pretty awesome and pretty eye-opening to, to my clients to be like, this is way more comfortable than I ever thought it would be. And so I love when she said that because I was like, oh my gosh, I if, you know, I had a dime every time I heard I hate fundraising from board or, or boards or whatever. Uh, it'd be, it'd be, I'd be living, I don't know, on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's a great point. And, you know, I say that too about when people say, oh, just get a grant for that. Yeah. Oh, you need yes. that? Just get a grant. Like, oh, so okay. Easy. Why didn't I think of that? I'll just whip one up real quick. <laughs> it's yeah, the same yeah. way. It comes down to relationships and relationships take time. We have to look at it as that longer time of building that foundation of trust. It doesn't happen quickly and overnight. We have to build a track record and credibility and get to know the people. There's a person on the other side of everything. So we need to care about the person. Yeah. Yeah. It's really taking a long view. Yeah, it is. Do you have a favorite maybe phrase or question that you like to ask donors mm. or I should say prospective donors? Yeah. I mean, I probably, I probably could list quite a few, but, but even just um, 
you know, how did you become so generous? You know, lately, and just to, I mean, those are really generous gifts. Like, how, like what, what is this? You know, it's, well, my parents always, or this, or I said I would give back, or uh, I had this life experience. Um, I always think that's a good one to ask because it's also very flattering to do- the donor that they have been very generous. Um, and frankly, Teresa, that could be a $50 gift, you know, and that could be a $50,000 gift. Um, mm-hmm. If it's their best gift, and it's, it is amazing. That's what we're working toward. A best gift just doesn't mean, you know, five, six, seven figures. It, it means someone really was moved and someone really wants to invest in, in the mission. Um, so I like that one. That's a great one. And that gives you the opportunity to get to know them. If you just ask it and then just listen. Yes. Yes. Yeah. A lot of the work is, uh, um, I think my clients would say that to, to me, what, what, what they hear me say, I'll be like, say it. And then don't jump. Mm-hmm. I'll just sit in silence. Okay. Well, that's so weird. I'm like, no, you gotta let, we got the thinking. We got to let them talk. Yeah. Don't, don't feel like you need to fill the silence. Yeah. And I think a lot of people forget that maybe getting nervous or some people are just naturally talkative and that's wonderful. There are times where we do need to balance. And I th- I've heard, you can confirm if you agree with this, but I've heard if you're in a conversation with a donor, you shouldn't talk more than 30% of the time. If you're talking more than that, you're talking too much. I agree. And it's so hard because, you know, especially with people who are maybe learning how to have these major gift conversations, um, you know, I work with tons of leaders who are running multi-million dollar organizations who are who have been successful at securing grants, having amazing events, um, you know, building their board, all the things. Um, but that they haven't ever had to or been taught to have these types of conversations. And so that natural nervousness until you've done it a few times and um until you've kind of realized it's actually not as scary as we all think. Um, yeah, it, it can be, it can be a little like, what if I say the wrong thing? You, you won't say the wrong thing if you're authentic and if you, you are yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you truly care about getting to know the person. Right. Yeah, Right. I agree. And I think that's important. I think we sometimes forget about that, that not every visit or every conversation has to be about asking for something. Sometimes yes. it can just be, getting to know them and learning about right. them and right. letting them know you care about them. And that's, yeah. that's where it can stop. And it doesn't have to be every single time something to walk away with in hand. Yeah. You said it. And I think that's counterintuitive for people who yeah. um, like, oh, this school year is coming and we got out. Like, I got this meeting with this person I've been like dying to meet with for years. Um what's counterintuitive about really working at the top part of the pyramid is it, it, it's, it's slowing down. Um, it's yeah. being thoughtful. It's not just me go in and ask that that's not how this works. So I, I actually would say that when I'm working with people who have been really on that spin cycle and it's just like crunching to their fiscal year end and, and all the things getting to the deadline of the application, um, part of the major gifts work and moving into those relational steps, uh, the mo the probably the biggest stress I see is it like it feels slower and it, but it should feel slower. Um it's gonna take six months, twelve months, eighteen months, twenty four months for us to lead that donor to their best gift. And we need to let it take that long. 
-hmm. if we want that best gift. And so um, it's it's totally counterintuitive than the most content that you will see out there. You know, saying that with the long term, sometimes it can take two or three years. I also see a lot of turnover in the nonprofit space, people burning out or shifting jobs, or there's like this domino effect. Somebody left this place and went to a different job. So then they left this place and like this whole shifting. And then that, the relationships kind of stall out that they were working to build. How can we in general work towards building more longevity and more Mm -hmm. sustainability with those in the nonprofit space? Yeah, I mean, I, one just like simple practical thing is, is I, I always want my top, a lot of donors, not just top, but to really have a, a shared portfolio to where um, they aren't just engaging with one one person on the development team, but they, it re- they've really taken the time to make sure the ED or a board member or another staff member um, really has a relationship with them. Uh, that's critical. And, um, and then number two, Teresa, I would say is, um, I really do find that uh, development teams, you know, it's kind of like, well, we'll do professional development. So here's a thousand dollars. That's not professional development. Like, do, do we need to, I, I see across the board that um, if we really think somebody has the chops to do this, like you have to invest in that person and you have to give them the tools so they can build in confidence um, oftentimes I think people are leaving jobs because they don't feel equipped and they don't feel respected. Um, and they haven't been invested in at the level that frankly they should be. Um, and, and that's really, um, I, again, we'll get up on a, that overhead soapbox, but I, I want leaders thinking abundantly about equipping their staff and, and what might happen. Isn't it worth helping your team learn how to do this and maybe adding seven figures to your bottom line? Like, wouldn't it even be worth investing 10%? Like, I think it would. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. You know, we don't think like that sometimes. Sometimes we do. But um, I just want to see more of that to, to really, really equip our teams. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big fan of that investment and capacity building mindset. What would you say to say maybe a team is trying to make that shift and work that direction, but they just have like a board member or two or maybe a board that is just solid, like, no, we need to stay on this shoestring budget. We That's a waste of money. Or how can we justify to our donors a thousand dollar investment in training or 10,000 or however mm-hmm. much? What would you say to them to help them have better language around that? Yeah. You know, usually where I start is is really going to the numbers. Um, you know, 91% of organizations never reach a million dollars. Why is that? Because they're not spending money. Because <laughs> they're on shoestring budget. And so the numbers really don't lie. Um, it's, or I should say, wait, 1% is, uh, yeah, 90, and then five, 5 million is 77%. I, I have to think about that a second. Um, and so if you want to scale and if you want to grow and we want to invest in people that book them, we say, well, that's not in the budget. We could never put that in the budget. Those are two, those two statements don't align. We all who have grown businesses 
um, know that if we want our sales teams to perform, if we want to launch a new product, a new widget, we want to start a new something on our assembly line, oh, it takes money. And so I, you know, even donors saying that, um, if you do not have the financial plan to sit down and say, I'm so glad you asked me that question. Could I walk you through that? Um, if you are doing that, um, then we will be handcuffed by this, you know, overhead myth and scarcity model. Um, the numbers do not lie. When you spend more, you raise more. Uh, I could point to, you know, a gazillion clients who who have done this. Um, and so it's just, I think it's a knee-jerk reaction. But if we're accepting that knee-jerk reaction and don't have the numbers to back it up or the plan to back it up, then it, some of that is on us. Mm-hmm. That's true. And appealing to both that logical, mathematical black and white side, plus the emotional storytelling side yeah. is important. And we talked about this in the Mythbusters too. I really liked how you said, um, how did you phrase it just now? I'm so glad you asked that. Could mm. I walk you through it? Yes. Because that's doing two things. It's appreciating their question instead of trying to brush it off or push it away or argue. Right. Or be nervous. Think, yeah, like, thank you for asking that. And then you're getting their permission to explain something instead of just hitting them with a rebuttal. That's not yes. going <laughs> to get the reaction you need. But to open the conversation and just say, yeah. hey, that is such a good question. Could I explain that to you? Yeah. And Or do you have a few minutes for me to show you exactly how we right. got to that number? And then, yeah, I think that really takes the conversation in a more positive direction. But sometimes it does. it's just that tiny shift. It really is. You know, there's such a storytelling buzz, you know, in, in the sector as there should be. Um, you know, but I do find that oftentimes leaders come to me and they're great at telling their mission story. They're great at telling the story of changed lives. Um, that gets us halfway there. The story that I find and that I coach people to tell is really what you're saying. Okay, so now what is the financial story of the organization? Why do we need your money? Um, could I walk you through those financials? And I'm finding that a lot of people aren't doing that. And so they're going to these meetings and they're saying, oh my gosh, they were touched. There were tears in their eyes. They they asked all these questions. I'm sure they'll mail in a big check. And then it kind of comes and it's like a thousand dollars. And you're like, oh really? Like I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to pivot into the financial story. Uh, and when we're not doing that, when you have, you know, EDs or development teams have not been equipped to do that, um, that's when we're leaving so much money on the table. Um, I have a client who um, who added seven figures to his bottom line in 18 months, learning how to tell the financial story because nobody, everybody knew they were doing great work. Everybody knew uh, these amazing young people that were, you know, flourishing and going to college and all these things, um, but nobody knew the financial need. Uh, nobody knew that they needed uh, to give their best gift. And so when he started having these financial conversations, he's a great businessman uh, with other business people who like, oh my gosh, now you're speaking my language. Now you're being transparent. Um, individuals, family foundations, businesses, tripling their gifts because we didn't know. And so we have to make sure we're telling the whole story when we're thinking um, about fully funding our organizations and really leading donors to their best gift. Do you think some of that 
even comes again to taking a step back and making sure our team understands the financials and how yes. to explain them. I've seen that, unfortunately, where team members don't really know, like, yeah, here's the report you wanted. They have yeah. no idea what it includes, what it's saying, and how to read it, let alone interpret it. So some 100%. of it, again, comes a step back to that education yeah, I, yeah, I, you know, started with a new client this last week. And my, one of my questions was, talk to me about your budgeting process. Like, I'm listening. Is the development team in those meetings? Do they understand why the budget is this? Um, you know, how will they establish what the true need is of the organization they need to be raising to if they don't understand the budget? Um, it is, I could not agree you know, any more with that statement. Um, but I find oftentimes it's like, all right, we got to grow more. So can, I need you to raise an extra 200 K. That doesn't help anybody. Um, that, that development whole team needs to know we are marching to a $5.2 million need. And do we all articulate that whole budget need? Not just, well, some of it comes in with income and some comes in with program revenue and then we get some government funds. And so like you need to raise like 1.2. That, that, that doesn't give a donor a full picture. And that does not set the team up for success. Everybody needs to be marching to that full need. And um, one time I was coaching a gal and she uh, um, she said to me, I, I was prepping her for the financial conversation. And she said, oh, gosh, I hope they don't ask the numbers questions. And I was like, I hope they ask the numbers questions. Let's, let's, and you know what? If they don't, you pull them out and you set them on the table. Uh, bring that elephant in the room. And so I think that, but if, but not to her fault, like she hadn't been equipped, she hadn't been given access to that. Um, right. You know, so many, you know, fundraisers haven't like spent too much time on their 990s, couldn't walk somebody through that. We have to know all of that um, to be able to really confidently address those questions to investment level donors. Uh, it's critical. From a donor's perspective, I would think that builds trust. If someone is like, here, full transparency, take a look at our financials. Let me walk you through them. And yeah. sitting there, able to look through and ask questions, if they are a business person, potential investor, that's how they think. And they're looking at numbers in their yes. business all day. They're going to be looking at this and it's going to click for them. So that is such an important approach and a yeah. way to maybe rethink those conversations. Yeah. I see it all the time. I see business leaders go like, holy smokes. I, I, this, is, this is wild. I didn't know this, even though it's all public on your 990. Right, um, right. And grow their gifts because they're like, no one else shows me this. No no one else volunteers this information. It says, could I, in our last 10 minutes of our meeting, could I walk you through our financial need? Mm -hmm. No one's done that to me. And that transparency and that like, oh my gosh, you're running a great business and I want to invest in that. Uh, that's what I want to hear. And you're right. That is, that's that other half. Like that's a lot of people's language. You know, we're going to talk CEO yeah. to CEO to somebody. They want to know that their gift is being used well. Um, we got to speak that language. Um, yeah. And I think I being it. aware of that is important because what is going to resonate with me may be different from the yes. person sitting across from me. And I need to understand and take into account how do they think and how do they appreciate getting information and what yes. kind of information. Yeah. And, and and I'm not saying go in and be like, here's our financials. Like, 
Of right. course, you've qualified them. Of course, you've shared what you're doing. Of course, you've told stories. Of course, you've sent photos. Like, of course, you've done all those things. Um, but major donors need more. Mm-hmm. And, and they need to, we need to, we need to lead them into those conversations before they ask. Um, because we're really confident we're sitting with shoulders back and we want, we want to share this with them. We're really excited to share this with them. Um, that that puts you in another level. That helps you break ceilings. And that attracts other investment level donors. Um, yes. A lot of people want to find donors. We're going to go hunt for donors. We're going to look, go look under rocks. Are we doing the things? Are we talking in a way? Are we having the conversations that attract investment level donors? Um, that Because the, then you're going to attract donors who get it, who are mission aligned and get it. And, and those donors give their best gift. And those donors want to give to you every year. They want to. It's they're going to talk to their friends. They're going to talk to their friends and say, hold on, these guys are killing it over here. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it, it's not, then it's not, oh, I don't want to introduce you to my friends. They want to help you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great point. So many nonprofits that come to me or that I hear about maybe in group threads and that ask questions are not to this point yet. They're maybe smaller and struggling and trying to gain traction. They just don't really know how to move forward. Mm. Is there like maybe one, one or two clear starting points where they could just start, like you don't need the whole roadmap, that would be overwhelming, but what's yeah. just one or two next steps that they could yeah. do? Yeah, I, so I would, you know, I, I'm always starting with the numbers here. Um, A, I would say, let's make sure first you're telling your donors, your true financial need. Let's we'll talk small if it's someone starting up. Um, let's say you've always raised kind of five hundred thousand dollars every year, but like you're you're not taking your full salary. Gosh, we gotta hire somebody. Oh, your friend's cousin's uncle is still doing your books. All the things we have to really look in the mirror and say, what is our true financial need? Um, if there's no reserve either, is our true financial need? 650, 550, I don't know what it is. Um, it's counterintuitive, but you will raise more money when you're raising to your true need versus a squeak by budget. Because you have to be telling that story to donors. So first of all, it's in budgeting and being honest with yourselves and saying, what is our true need? Because how will you put a plan in place to reach your true need? Like if you haven't put that number on paper, how will you know how to spend your time? How will you know how to align your hours with dollars? Uh, and then I run a simple calculation. If we want 50 to 75% of your revenue coming from your top 30 donors, run that. Those gifts do not come from events and appeals and that sort of thing. So if that's how those gifts are coming in, we have some changes to make. And so start with five people. Start with five people who love you and who know you and who want to help you. And go have deeper conversations. Uh, go ask them how they became so generous um, and start getting to know them and start um, talking about, gosh, we're this year we're growing. We have a $650,000 need. Um, they will want to help you. Love that. And that's so simple. Like just step back, take a minute, yeah. give it time and start having the conversations. Yeah. It's practical, really. Like Sometimes yeah. people say, hey, I don't mean to offend you, Sherry, but like your approach is really practical. And I'm like, 
that's actually the best compliment you can give me because everybody that's can do the practical. Idea. Like, let's yeah. actually not make it hard. <laughs> right. Let's stop um, talking about these vague concepts and actually yeah. give step-by-step tools. Like, here, yeah. have five it, conversations. Yeah, in the next it's two totally weeks. doable. It's yeah. totally doable. And when you break it down like that, it's not intimidating. It's like, I'm just yeah. going to call this person up and get to know them. Yeah. Just have a conversation. That's your goal for this right. next conversation. It doesn't have to be a big thing and the pressure of, oh, I've got to raise a million dollars by Friday. It's just, you're just getting to know people and caring about them and taking it step by step. And you're going to have to maybe follow up. They're all five of them are not going to respond back and say, oh my gosh, here's my calendar linked. Um, I saw some funny little graphic. um, I think it was on LinkedIn, probably because I'm on LinkedIn all the time. But it was something like uh, what people think fundraisers do and what fundraisers really do. And like the majority of the pie chart was like follow up. <laughs> and so like, oh, right. It's like yeah. I'm following up on the follow up when I followed up. Like people are busy, you know, and so um, be patient. That's why you got to have a full pipeline because not everyone's going to meet with you. It's going to take a while. It might take six months to meet with somebody, you know, just mm-hmm. holidays, whatever it is. Great um, reminders. Stay and steady. do not take it personally. They may be no. busy, they have work, they have, they're sick, whatever yeah. it is. It's not personal. So it's yeah. not personal. It's not personal. Such good reminders and such practical tips as I knew you would have today. This has been awesome. Well, before we wrap up, I would love to hear of a resource that has been particularly meaningful mm. to you in your journey. Gosh, you know, Teresa, it's, it's funny. One of my, um, New Year's resolution is to read like the six books I ordered last year and haven't read yet. <laughs> <laughs> I have so a whole stack of those too. It's okay. Yeah, I know. I'm like, let me get back to you on that resource. Um, but I will tell you, there's one book. I probably have it on my back. Um, oh yeah, here. Uh, the Road Less Stupid um, mm. by Cunningham. And I, I actually loved this book. I read it in 2020. Um, and this guy lost everything, you know, and he was kind of just telling his it's a business book. It's not a nonprofit book, but it was really telling his journey on um, <clears throat> that day he lost everything and, and what were the traps he had fallen into. And um, it's it's a really easy read, a simple read, something you're like, well, of course. Uh, I love the tone of it. Um, I did a whole like blog series on it. It was it was pretty cool. So I always recommend that as a as a good read for any business owner or any no, anybody who's who's running a nonprofit. That sounds fun. That sounds like one of the books that you could read at different points yes, in your career I have. and gain something different. Yes, yes, yes. And it's like, it, and I think it's, it's kind of like, oh, I'm going re- to reread that chapter eight um, because I, I love that topic. So it's been a good one. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. I'll have to try that one. Um, so as we wrap up, make sure, how can we connect with you online and how can people learn more? I highly recommend following Sherry on LinkedIn because your content is always great and so such good food for thought and Thank I feel you. like spot on with this relationship building piece that we've been talking about. So tell us how can we Thank you. find you and learn more. Yeah, LinkedIn is my uh, is my go-to Sherry Quam Taylor and um and then you can hop on my website which is Quam Taylor my my two last names q u a m taylor.com uh, or you can shoot me an email which is sherry s a g r r y at quamtaylor.com. Okay. Very good. I will link to all that in the show notes, of course. And I appreciate your time and all your wisdom here. It's always so good to hear a perspective from an area so closely related to grant writing, because I feel like they go hand in hand, but yet 
such a different way to approach it and to encourage people to think differently and think more forward and bigger and not so fear-based. I think that's something to really consider making a shift in your nonprofit if that's an area they've struggled with. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Teresa. Okay, what did you think about this conversation? Did this challenge you a little bit? I sure hope so. I hope it challenged you to think bigger and with more possibility from maybe what you've done in the past and to maybe encourage your board and your team to think bigger. I hope this gives you also some tools and ways to shift the conversations. Think back to conversations you've had with donors and how can you always be improving? Not to look back and condemn yourself, but to always be refining, always looking for ways of how can we do this better? How can we continue to grow and think bigger and take this work to the next level? We don't want to stay stagnant because that is not serving our missions well, and it's not serving our communities well. We need to continue doing our work with excellence, finding new strategies, learning and growing. We can keep learning from each other. And that's why I've had several guests on this year, because there's so much we can learn from directly in grant writing, but also within the whole nonprofit space and such great experts that we can absorb their wisdom. So I would love to hear what action you are going to take as a result of today's interview. Come message me over on LinkedIn or on my website, and let's keep the conversation going. Let's keep each other accountable of how we are going to implement these tips and this advice in our work sometime in the next week. Commit and do it. All right. If you are considering becoming a grant writer, go take my free quiz at teresahuff.com slash quiz. Do you have what it takes to be a grant writer? And we'll keep the conversation going. All right, friends, go take some action. Have a great week and go change your world.